Would you join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you. I thank you so much. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for our church family. I thank you for your word that never changes. Thank you for your Holy Spirit and pray that you fill us right now. Open our hearts to you even as we open up your word to us. In Jesus' name and for your glory alone. Amen. I want to continue doing what we've done the last couple of weeks and look at some words, some phrases that a lot of Christians just use knee-jerk. We're used to using them. We do it instinctively. But there are words and phrases that sometimes non-Christians look at us and go, huh? What, what are you talking about? But let's be honest. There are words and phrases sometimes that a lot of Christians think that they understand and haven't really thought about very much. So we've talked about uh, about parentness, not parenting, parentness. We've talked about rebabifying and the importance of being born again. We've talked about be-stilling and what that actually should look like in our lives. Today I want to talk about good doing. I want to talk about works. I have to say it that way because as evangelicals we all go, oh, works, shudder, no. Well, yeah, sort of. Um, and that's a dangerous combination, isn't it? Theologically, are against works, but if you don't do them, well, you're probably going to go to hell. Not the way to look at this, but it is the way we look at it because probably we haven't really thought about it that much. Sort of, but not really. Not why we should do it. Because for so long, the church and the synagogues were all about, you have to do works, it doesn't matter, you have to follow this. And then Martin Luther came along, and since then, we've all been not works. That's not actually how it happened. It's the narrative that we love to say, but that's not really how it happened. Not really. Because for the longest time, though Jewish faith, Christian faith, can devolve and oftentimes did devolve at various points into as long as I check these boxes. Come on, let's be honest. Marriages do that, don't they? As long as I check these boxes, we're in a healthy marriage. Oh, wait, I don't think our marriage is healthy anymore. Any human system can devolve into as long as I just check these boxes. It's not there's something wrong with the Jewish people, something wrong with early Christians. It's there's something wrong with humans. And as long as we check these boxes. And it was never supposed to be this way, even in the Old Testament. Even in the Old Testament, God was very clear. In 1 Samuel 15, we're told, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? I mean, to obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. And you're supposed to sacrifice. But it's the heart issue that's the key there. Not that God needs a dead sheep. It's God wants your heart. Isaiah said, the Lord says, these people come near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship has just devolved into rules taught by men. It was never supposed to be that. And it always is in danger of devolving into that. We're always supposed to be doing stuff. The flip side, we're always supposed to be doing stuff. I mean, do you remember even Jesus said, oh, no, no. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. You don't do it to impress other people, but intrinsic in that, logically, implicit in that, is that you are actually doing righteous works, right? He's like, oh, I want you to be doing good stuff, just not to impress men or, or God, because all of your righteousness is still just filthy rags, right? You're not, you're not going to go, look, I fed the poor, and God's like, oh. I'm impressed. 
It's not going to work like that, right? It's not the way God works. The simple rule of thumb, and we've said this for years, but it's good to remember, we do Christian things because we're Christian. We are not Christian because we do Christian things. You understand? You're not a Christian just because you do Christian things. You do Christian things because you're a Christian. I'm not married to Wendy because we happen to live in the same house. We live in the same house because we're married. It's important. There's distinctions. I know my carts and I, I know my horses. I grew up with harness horses. You're supposed to put the cart behind the horse. Please do not put your cart before the horse. Don't get this wrong. You're going to have problems. Now, Martin Luther did rightly argue against the idea that somehow we are saved or damned by what we do or don't do today. He's right about that. Instead of thinking that we're somehow saved or damned by whether or not we're paid for by the blood of Christ. Are our sins paid for? Are we washed clean? That's how we're saved. He's like, it's not by did you do it well enough today to keep earning that. No. I mean, bear in mind, this is a guy who wanted to chop the book of James out of the Bible, right? Martin Luther said the book of James is all works-oriented, and we have to cut it out of the Bible. Because James said stuff like, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Nope. A person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. That's heresy, and we should get rid of James. That's what Luther said. He also wanted to get rid of Esther. I love aspects of Luther. Don't get me wrong. But I think he missed the point of both James and Esther. Let me come back. Remind me. Remind me. Bill, remind me. I'll come back to that. But Luther did rightly argue against this idea that somehow we are saved by our works. And yet, that is a spectrum that we struggle with still. We struggle on both ends of how to deal with that. Because there's a whole chunk of Christians, there's a whole bunch of us that live on a daily basis like being a Christian is just saying, yeah, cool, thank you, thank you for saving me, but now I can do pretty much everything I'd already planned to do. I can live my life exactly the way I lived it before I became a Christian because I said so. And as long as I slap Jesus on it, I feel all graced up and justified in everything I do. I, I, can, I can go worship goats for all I care about. As long as I say every once in a while, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, throw up a meme on Facebook every once in a while, everything's great, and I'm totally justified, right? Be honest, there is a thought among a lot of Christians that, yeah, I can do whatever I want. Those people should read the book of Romans. The other side of this, though, is a bunch of Christians that sit there and go, it's always about always doing all the right things. You always have to do this. And anyone who is not doing what I think is the right thing to do is clearly not a Christian. Those people should read the book of Romans. That was a joke, but it was darn funny if you think about it. And I'm not just talking about the juicy bits, like who you sleep with or who you voted for in the last election. You know, the really juicy things that all of us Christians all agree on as to what's the right thing to have done there, correct? So it's perfectly good for us to choose who gets to go to heaven based on what I've decided about. I'm talking about the mundane stuff, like do you live at the right address? Do you dress in the right kind of clothes? Do you sing the right kind of music? Actually, I had a, a seminary prof at Trinity 
uh, D.A. Carson, who argued, yeah, that's exactly what Christians should do. A large part of Christianity is all about living at the right address, dressing the right kind of clothes, singing the right kind of songs. I think he's absolutely right. And look at it. If you want to, think about the, the point that James is making. You don't get saved by what you do, but what you do absolutely reflects whether or not you've been truly saved. Have you been changed by God? What kind of faith do you actually have? It matters what you do. What you do reflects what's going on in your heart. And I'm with Dr. Carson. First part of that is living at the right kind of address. Do me a favor, turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. If you don't have your personal Bible here, the Pew Bibles, that should be page 1144. And look at Colossians 3. We're going to be jumping around, but we're basically going to be in Colossians 3 today. Colossians 3, 1. Since, as Christians, you've been bought from spiritual death and have been rebabified into new life, right? You've been reborn. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Which just makes sense, because I mean, even Jesus, when he prayed, said, Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's do here what we should be doing there. You're ambassadors here of the kingdom of God. The whole idea of being a Christian, being reborn into spiritual life, a child with a heavenly inheritance, an ambassador of a heavenly kingdom, the whole point of being a Christian is to be a sojourner here, just passing through here. This is no longer your home. This is now your mission field. Like Megan's going to Vienna as a mission field. Vienna isn't going to be her home. She's only going to be there for 10 months. Well, all of this is just our mission field. This is just where we're hanging out until we get to go home someday. But this is where we serve. So in Colossians 3, Paul says, set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. Your heart and your mind are now vertical, lived out, horizontal. We even talked about this in youth group this week. With the greatest commandment, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Vertical lived out horizontal. If you are not living vertical, if your love is not based on your relationship with the Lord, what kind of love are you loving your neighbor with? A broken, flawed one? Thank you for trying, but you're not really being an ambassador. If you are not loving your neighbor... I guarantee you do not understand what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength. You are not an ambassador of this. You're supposed to be doing this all the time. Connecting with the vine and then giving fruit to all those around you. Vertical love that's lived out horizontally. I don't know how many different biblical applications do I have to have this basic concept. Just this. Do this a lot in life. But... um, That suggests that what we do here is important. But its true importance, its true relevance, isn't just in what happens here, but in how this reflects this, how your horizontal reflects your vertical. Do you live here in such a way that we gratify the Lord and our new nature that Christ died to give us, or that we gratify our sinful nature 
That's why Paul wrote to the Galatians and said, how about this? How about you live by the Spirit, and then you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature? Live vertically so that you won't do it wrong when you live out horizontally. So stop and think about it. What's your real home address now? Is it is it Peoria? Is it Illinois? Is it America? Is it this world? Or is it God's kingdom? What is your address? Because I think of what Paul wrote to Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5. We know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. I'm camping out here. This is a temporary tent. But there's a building, a solid structure that is my inheritance. That's my real address. I mean, I enjoyed going to Ireland and Scotland very much. We went to a succession of hotels, bed and breakfast, things like that. None of those were my address, other than maybe for the evening. Even if I was there in Ireland, my address is still here. Even if I'm here with you, my address is still the kingdom of God. Anyway, Paul says to the Corinthians, Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Because we're here, but we want to be, we should want to be there, right? This is a shadow play. That's real. This is this temporary, broken, ramshackle, scuffed up, vulgar thing that we've made of it. God made it good, and then we messed it up. But we, Paul says, have been made for this very purpose, and God has given us a spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come, guaranteeing our inheritance in heaven. This is, this is here, but our deposit is there. In fact, Paul wrote uh, in, in, the, in the book of, Ephes, uh, of Ephesians, he kept using the phrase, in the heavenly realms. Have you ever noticed how many times he says, in the heavenly realms, in the book of Ephesians? A, a, a lot of times. You're going to have to trust me, a lot of times. And the way he phrases it suggests that to Paul, we're already there. Ephesians 1.3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, in the heavenly realms, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You could say, well, no, he's blessing us from the heavenly realms. It's possible, but grammatically, it's more in the heavenly realms. You've already been blessed in God's heavenly kingdom with spiritual blessings. You're just supposed to be living those blessings there, out here. Ephesians 2, 5, he says, it's by grace, by God's unmerited favor that you've been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus not and someday you will be now that is true and yet on some level you're spiritually already seated there you've got a chair there you're already living there you're just supposed to live there with every step we take here because you're an embassy right so there is lived out here. In Ephesians 3.10, we're told that God's intent was that now, now, not later, now, right now, through the church, which is us, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. 
according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. How is it that God intends for his, his manifold wisdom to be made known? Through what mechanism? The church, right? That, that'd be us. His ambassadors, you and me. How we live here echoes through eternity even now. Even now. Ephesians 6, verse 12, for our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. That's not what our fight is. It's not against the people here. It's not against the people on Facebook here. The people who voted for, you know, the wrong guy. It's not against them. Stop it. It's against the spiritual rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's who we should be fighting as Christian soldiers. People, especially the broken people that you think are broken, those are the people you should be fighting for, not against. Wherever you are, you're the church. You're being blessed right now in the heavenly realms where you're seated next to Christ in the heavenly realms. You're making God's wisdom known in the heavenly realms and embattling Evil in the heavenly realms. You're already doing all of that, right? You are, aren't you, actively right now? By the way, the answer is sometimes. But all of us are supposed to be doing that continually. Sometimes we forget and we think, this is where the building is. Instead of this is where I'm pitching my tent. You live here like you actually live there. It's important that you live at the right kind of address. If you want to make sure that you're doing the works that honor God, start by living at the right kind of address. And it isn't here, but it is lived out here. I'm sorry, you guys are in Colossians 3, so let me go there. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. You died. You were spiritually dead and you died to your death, which means that you're alive. That's a Paul weirdness. I'm not going to... You died, and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your dead earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which, let's be honest, is idolatry, isn't it? Isn't that Paul's argument? Idolatry is to give in to that kind of stuff, is to worship this place, is to worship your belly, to worship your wallet, to say that I should build a temple here to my wallet, to my 401k, to my resume, to my legacy. I need to build a temple here instead of bringing the sanctuary of God into this world with every step that I take, with every word that I make. I can make a temple out of this place can make an idol out of this stuff. I can do it so easily. And I can even slap the word Jesus on it and get myself confused. Because this church has to continue on this corner because it has for over 100 years, and so it's important. You go, did you ever even mention God in that thought? Did you ever even think about that? Or was it the continuation of this particular church body? You can idolatrize anything. Because of these things, Paul says, the wrath of God is coming, and that should be sobering. 
You used to live in these ways, he says, in the, way, in the life that you used to live, back when you were nakedly lost in your sin. I want you to dress in the right kind of clothes. You used to walk in these ways, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. The word he uses here is, he's like, I want you to strip that off. Take those old shabby clothes off. They're gross. Change your clothes. You've been wearing this same outfit for the last three weeks. Please, please, I'm begging you. Take those off. Back in the Renaissance, it wasn't uncommon for them to change clothes once a year. Especially the guys. You'd wear the same outfit for a year, and in the spring, you'd crack it off your body. Oh, I'm not kidding. Crack it off your body. Take that that spring bath that you know is bad for you because all the people that know what they're talking about say that bathing in warm water is bad for your skin and then put on a brand new set of clothes. I'm telling you, the Renaissance was smelly and gross. The Middle Ages, much cooler. Go back to... No, it's a whole other discussion. <laughs> but I'm telling you, Paul's telling you, crack those old gross clothes off. In fact, you've taken, you technically have taken them all off. You have already taken them off in Christ. Don't put them all back on. He says, don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. You've already done it, so don't, don't be playing games. You've, you've now put on a new self. You've put on a new set of clothes. And, and, and that new self is being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of its creator. You've already taken off your old clothes. Don't put them back on. But your new clothes are not only new and fresh, but they're continually being made renew. God is continually keeping them clean. He's continually saying, I'm growing you more and more in my likeness. So do that. Wear the right kind of clothes. Here in Christ, there is no Greek or Jew, because you're all renewed. You're all Christian now. It doesn't matter whether you're Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, Republican, Democrat, white, black, male, female, boomer, millennial, bald or hirsute. I don't care about your demographics. I don't care about the accidents of birth. Spiritually, none of you are closer to God or farther away, better or worse. doesn't matter before the Lord in terms of your relationship with him because Christ is all. And is in all. He's the beginning, he's the end, he's the middle of us, he fills us. Therefore, Paul says, as God's chosen people, holy, set apart for God, and dearly loved, all of you, clothe yourselves, dress in the right kind of clothes, clothe yourselves with the right kind of clothes, with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness. Remember that word is put up withness. It's not gentle pedikitty. It's being willing to put up with people that, quite frankly, you'd really like to unfriend on Facebook. Put up withness and patience. If you want to dress like you look like God, because remember, we're being renewed in his image. If you want to dress as if you look like God, clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, with a little humility, with put-up-withness, with patience. Is that 
what you and I, is, eh, broaden it. is that what the church of Jesus Christ has clothed itself with? That the rest of the world looks at Christians and say, yeah, when I think of Christians, I think compassionate, kind, humble, put up with the patient. Bear with each other, Paul says. Forgive whatever grievances you may have had against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How much, how freely, how fully has the Lord forgiven you? Do that. Just do that. To whom? Anybody who's your neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Let me tell you about this Samaritan. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Because remember, in Ephesians, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, right? We should live here as if we're already living there, and that means dressing the right way. And don't yab at this. Don't go, yeah, but you don't know. Don't do that. Don't let yourself start yabbing somewhere midweek. Yeah, but you don't know what she did. You don't know. Yeah, but you don't understand. They're undermining the church. Yeah, but you don't know. This politician is really just driving this country. Yeah, but you don't. Fine. Disagree with them. Admonish them. Teach them truth. But do it with compassion and kindness. Do it lovingly. Do it with put up withness and patience, yes? If you want to dress like God. And if you're ever sitting there going, yeah, but these people are really messed up. They're not like us Christians. Then you better be dressed like a Christian. Dress accordingly. Colossians 3.14 says, Over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity like the perfect belt that pulls the whole outfit together. It's exactly what makes everything work. Without this, it doesn't work. Try to be kind without love, and it's tinny. Try to be patient without love, and you'll be resentful. Try to be put up with thee without love, and you'll be a doormat. Bind it all together in genuine love that sits there and says, I genuinely want what is healthiest and best for the other person. That's genuinely what I want. But it might make them cry if that is what is genuinely best for their health then I'm going to let my child cry because I don't want them to eat nothing but candy spiked with razor blades, even if that's what they want. And they cry and pout and say that I'm a bad daddy if I don't let them. Then let them cry and pout because I love them. Yes? Clothe yourself, Paul tells the Romans. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You go, oh, well, he just linked them all together there, didn't he? Live at the right kind of address. Dress in the right kind of clothes. Sing the right kind of songs. Because what's the very next verse here in Colossians? Colossians 3, verse 15. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Because now that you're living in the right place, wearing the right kind of godly clothes, wrapped in genuine love, let that love just pour out of you. Let that just be a natural thing. You're excited and you're happy and you're, you're feeling gratitude and it just pours out. All that vertical love goes horizontally. Yay. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with, with all wisdom. And that's, that's the wisdom that God is intending should be made known here and in the heavenly realms through what mechanism? The church. We're supposed to be the ones that show how we love one another. They'll know you are Christians by how well you monitor everybody's behavior. 
message version. Admonish one another. Correct. Maybe even reprimand one another. Yes, but do it with gentleness and compassion and put up with this. Do it with wisdom and, and do it as an outpouring of God's word flooding within you. Do it with love. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to the Lord, to God. I love that. As you sing psalms, spiritually put together instrumental pieces of music, hymns, which means worship choruses, praise choruses. I love that that's what the word hymns means. So many people for years have talked, oh, do you like hymns or praise choruses? I'm like, you do realize that technically hymns means praise chorus. You just think the hymns mean something structured because that's an old-fashioned word for it. I love the irony of that. Anytime somebody talks about, well, I like hymns rather than praise choruses, it makes me chuckle. But that's just me. But as you're singing these instrumental songs, as you're singing these praise choruses, as you're singing these songs that just come from your heart because of your relationship with God's Spirit within you, sing the right kind of songs in the right kind of way. Sing songs that are structured. Yay! Prepare those in advance. Sing songs that just go, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And sing songs that people go, I don't even know that that's a song. You go, it is to me. Cool. As long as you're singing to the Lord and, as Paul says, with gratitude in your hearts to God. Because all of this good doing, all of these works should be not an attempt to win God over, but, but outpourings of gratitude because God won you over. There's a difference. There's a total difference of mentality here. And whatever you do, Paul says, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, because you've been rebabified into God's family and you take on his name as your family name, and you get to live there out here. How you live here matters. What you do here matters because it reflects where the temple of your heart truly lies. And by the way, I don't know, if you, did you notice the, the sneaky bit that, that Paul snuck in there? I love that he's, he's just Mr. Sneaky in terms of how he prepared those couple of verses here, talking about singing. Because he did this parallel of three different ideas. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What you do, why you do it, how you do it, all should just be Jesus. Let his word permeate you. Let his peace permeate you. Let his name permeate you. Everything you do, super saturated. And in between those statements, he said, and be thankful with gratitude in your hearts to God, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus our Son, His Son. Jesus, 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 thank you, thank you, thank you. Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you. How about you do it that way? You want to make sure that your works are right? Well, then you should... Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you. That's how you do this right. Permeate everything with that. And be thankful because... As Ephesians tells us, it's by grace you've been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And people go, ah, James was wrong. Of course, the next verse that Paul says in Ephesians, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. It's what you were created to do, which God prepared in advance for you to do. 
which isn't the opposite of James. It's exactly what James was saying. James's whole argument is, if you have a real faith, it should be lived out by what you do. Paul says, right, now, you're not saved by what you do, but you were saved to do it. And James goes, right, you're not saved by what you do, but i got to wonder if you really have a living faith if you're not doing this. Faith by itself, James says, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Good doing should be a natural reaction to this. Speak and act like you're taking this seriously. He says, what good is it, pardon me, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a vapid, pointless, meaningless, unchanging, you know, didn't change anything in your life, faith, can that save him? It seemed to have changed nothing in you. Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. I'm not saying you're saved by your works, but if you look out in the yard and you see a tree that has no leaves and no fruit ever, it's not a tree, it's a stick. And it's dead. Someone will say, well, you have faith, I have deeds. Like you could separate those. You go do your faith thing, I'll go do my deeds thing, and as long as I dig enough wells in Erie and Jaya, and as long as I put enough money in a plate and look like an evangelical Christian or support the right social causes, God's going to have to let me in, right? And James goes, what are you kidding me? Show me your faith without any deeds, as if that's possible. I'm going to show you my faith by what I do. I have a faith, and it's actually alive and vibrant. It's actually doing something. Deeds aren't going to bring you faith. They're not going to win you faith. But genuine, genuine faith should always be living itself out in deeds. And James even says, you believe there's no, there is one God. Great, even the demons believe that and shudder. Even they understand that much. Just saying, yeah, I think there's a God. No, live it out. You see that a person is justified by what he does, not just faith alone, not because what you do saves you, but what you do shows your faith. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is a stick. I want it, I want it to be a tree. And by the way, an apple is not an apple tree. It's just fruit. What you want is an apple tree with apples on it. That's what you want. Not just deeds. Not just verbal assent. You want faith lived out in what you do. Live at the right address. Dress in the right clothes. Sing the right kinds of songs. Because what you do here echoes. Here and in eternity. Yes? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you that you can tell us to, to be still, to go slack when we're stressed. And yet, when we are laxed, you tell us to get busy. Lord, I thank you that you encourage us to do the right thing, not because we're stressed, not because we want to prove anything, not because we want to impress anybody. But I thank you, I thank you that you give us the right and the privilege to be your ambassadors and to live there out here. Help us to do that with an attitude, with a heart that honors you and loves those around us genuinely. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.